Hello, welcome inside the global headquarters of one of the world's best capitalized banks and one of the world's best capitalized countries. We're here to talk about markets and talk about investments. And it's an interesting time. It's certainly a lot different from when we uh, started this up a year ago on these live streams. So when we look at markets today, I've got to say we face a little bit of frustration when we talk to a lot of clients uh, because we feel like they're stuck in their stories a little bit, maybe still in the uh, COVID work from home story, rather than thinking more about the growing reflation trade and the focus on the booming restart that many economies have had around the world as we get more hope that we're coming out of this COVID tragedy. And some of the things we hear about the markets are, well, markets are, the major indices are at all time highs. And so maybe I don't want to invest or some of the things that you've been talking to us about on the financial sector or the energy sector, I'm more interested in technology and that hasn't been performing as well recently versus some of these other sectors. Or maybe people are just frightened by some of the volatility and uncertainty that's out there and they wanna wait before they make changes. And these kinds of decisions uh, haven't been that great for portfolios recently. We wanna put it on the table. We wanna get at some of these topics and discuss them. And I think one of the specific concerns that people have had has been around inflation. And for that, we're gonna to talk to the one and only Paul Donovan. Paul, tell us about inflation. Thanks, Mark. Um, you're quite right. It's a topic which comes up in many, many client conversations uh, at the moment. Um, we've had a rise in inflation rates. The headline consumer price inflation rates have gone up. But this was entirely predictable. You know, a year ago, economists were predicting that this was going to be happening. Because, of course, what happened a year ago is the oil price collapsed. And so when we look at inflation now, we're making a comparison between inflation uh, today with an oil price that is normal, inflation a year ago where oil prices were briefly negative. So that's creating a, a temporary boost to the inflation numbers. And then we're also getting lots of stories about supply chain disruption and that that may be causing shortages and causing price increases. Now, in actual fact, we're not seeing disruption as such. I mean, globally, uh, trade is absolutely booming. Goods are whizzing around the world with no obstacle at all. But for certain products, there are delays in delivering. But those are tending to be mainly about delays rather than actually companies racing to raise prices because they realize it's only a temporary phenomenon. Bottom line, when I look at inflation, what I'm really focused on is how many prices are rising. If we've got lots and lots of prices rising, that's telling me something's gone wrong in the economy and central banks need to step in. If you've only got a handful of prices rising, that's telling me that there are issues in individual markets and policymakers, central banks should not be getting involved. And it's that latter position that's very much the case at the moment. When we look at the number of prices that are rising, most prices are actually very well behaved. They're rising two, two and a half percent a year, perfectly normal behavior. It's only a small handful of prices that are creating these scary headline numbers. 
All right, Paul, that's inflation. What about this issue of volatility that's getting a lot of investors stuck up right now? Well, we've got, uh, I think, stuff going on beyond uh, you know, the, the, the growth rebound, and the growth rebound is well underway. But we still have some concerns over COVID lingering in the market. I think they're exaggerated myself. Um, I don't think they're going to disrupt the, uh, the economic opening up. But every time we hear about a new variant, you get a little twinge of concern. Uh, in financial markets. And it's understandable after the disruption that we've been through for the last 12 months, you'd expect that sort of thing. We're also getting a little bit of uncertainty about what central banks are going to do, not so much with the policy interest rates, because I think central banks are being super clear on policy interest rates, but what they're going to do with their bond buying programs, when they're going to scale back bond buying. And of course, Canada's already started to scale back. The UK has sort of half-heartedly joined Team Taper and is, is slowing its bond purchases. So that's creating a little bit of, of additional uncertainty. And then, of course, that good old favorite geopolitical concerns. You know, there are plenty of tensions still kicking around. We've got arguments over global corporate tax rates coming through, tax havens like the Republic of Ireland resisting attempts to come up with a harmonized tax system. Uh, you've got the ever-present uh, tensions between the UK and the EU. Uh, and now Switzerland seems to be acquiring a British accent and has got some disruption with the EU as well. And then, of course, US-China relations are always a source of concern. So there's lots of noise out there. But Really, we need to look through the noise, focus on the economic fundamentals. It's economics that matters in the end. Well, it's not surprising to hear from a chief economist that uh, the economics are what matter. But uh, tell us more about growth, because you were the guy a year ago who was saying, look, we we're going to have a sharp slowdown, but the economists uh, and others are going to underestimate the speed of the recovery. You were right on that. But you've been right for some time now. Is the momentum still there? How long is this going to continue? I would argue the momentum is still there. It's not as much as it was a year ago. I mean, a year ago, it was blindingly obvious that the, the markets were underestimating people's ability to adapt. And that's certainly been true. And I think there's still some of that underestimation in there. And then what we've also had is too many people sort of psychologically view 2020 as a recession. And it, and it really wasn't. I'm not denying people lost jobs, which is very sad. I'm not denying that there was a, a collapse in GDP, but it's not a classic recession recovery cycle. There are more businesses in existence in the US today than there were 12 months ago. When can you ever say something like that after a recession? So it's a very different animal. And because we're trying to squeeze this narrative into a recession recovery scenario, it's not working. And we are still seeing positive surprises. Only today, the OECD you know, revised up global growth by an enormous amount. You know, they're almost 2% added to their global growth forecasts because, again, they've been underestimating the strength of the bounce back. Now, I think the markets are starting to get on board with this, but I do think there is still the potential for some positive surprises. People are proving resilient. People are willing to go out and spend the savings that they've built up during lockdowns, uh, and they're a lot more willing to do that than a traditional mathematical backwards-looking model is going to suggest. This is a time to be agile in your thinking about how the world works because it's not working in the way that it normally does and that's what's giving us these ongoing modest positive surprises 
Well, the world certainly isn't working the way we learned about it in textbooks when we were going up, growing up. Uh, it's going to be a whole nother show on whether it'll ever be quote unquote normal again, but we'll leave that for another day because we want to get into taking all that you've said about the current situation and how do we start applying that to portfolios. And for that, we're going to turn to Claudia. Claudia, you've made some great calls on the sectors that are going to be moving. That's been working out, but tell us a little bit overall, how should people be positioning their portfolios? Thank you, Mark. I think, first of all, people should still uh, be invested. This is quite important because Paul uh, just highlighted how economists have been shine revising up. Uh, GDP forecast is the same on the earnings side. Last year, market was mainly supported by liquidity injection, central bank, monetary policy being very easy, very accommodative. This year's story is a completely different one. We have earnings growth to be revised up in every single region with slightly uh, have seen a, a big revision of US, big revision in the Eurozone. We are expecting globally plus 38% EPS growth. And what is quite interesting, when we compare, for instance, the performance of a different region uh, since January 2020, and we compare this performance to the growth in the earnings between 2019 and 2022, so also taking into account our forecast for the next year, we clearly see that the market, some market are lagging still this growth. I put a chart which I think been quite interesting. When we look, for instance, the S&P performance since uh, January 2020, the S&P is up 31%. Align completely align with the growth in the earnings. But then there are some regions like the Eurozone or even emerging market, Japan, where the price performance is like quite lagging quite a bit uh, the earnings growth. I'm taking, for instance, emerging market on which we are positive, or even Japan. We have seen 27% performance between January 2020 on emerging market, but EPS growth are up 47%. In, uh, on the topics, is the same plus 60% price performance in January 2020 and EPS growth between 2019 and 2022 will be up 36%. So clearly there is still more to go and this will be driven by these earnings, which are quite strong after Q1, but there is still upside. Secondly, on valuation. I know we have plenty of clients asking valuation is, is expensive. Should we cut the exposure to equities and what can I say in term on absolute term, the valuation is not attractive, but real rates are really very low and uh, even nominal yield are very low, which are supporting the multiple expansion. But from, from now on, multiple expansion should stop. We should have uh, some stabilization of the multiples. And when we compare the uh, relative uh, valuation of equity to bonds, valuation is still very attractive. You can take an earning leads model, a DDM model. The conclusion will be the same. We will have the uh, equity to be more attractive than fixed income with equity risk premium with, with, which are still above average. So for me, the first message is stay invested, earning strong and valuation still appealing relative to other asset classes. Okay, stay invested, earnings look strong and that is gonna support equities. But you also kind of hinted at that there are gonna be relative winners and losers in the equity space. So break that down for our people watching today. Yes, so there are a 
plenty of uh, potential upside in different segments on the equity market. On the next slide, I put uh, two different examples. One is the regional one. When we look, for instance, I was speaking before about Japan. Japan has been one of the region underperforming globally. And one of the recent uh, reasons why performance was not good since the beginning of the year is that Japan has been lagging on the vaccination rollout. And we have seen still some extension of the, of the restriction. Now, the number of uh, uh, vaccination is increasing. It's still very low when compared to US, UK, or even Eurozone. But uh, the implementation will be quite quick uh, uh, during the summer. And so you have a case where Japan will be reopening, is in restriction, earnings is, uh, is, uh, is really, really strong, and valuation is appealing. So Japan is one of the segments where we believe there is still upside. On the sector side, is interesting because we had a quite nice performance from energy, financial, materials since the beginning of the year. And so some people are asking, we are probably at the end of such a performance. But then when you look at the performance, once again, between a cyclical value sector, such as energy, financial, or materials, since January 2020, and you compare such a performance to tech companies or related tech companies, telecommunication services, consumer discretionary and so on, there is still a gap between the performance of a cyclical value segment and the rest of the market. So with the earnings firing up, with the reopening of the economy, with also a bond yield peaking higher, we are expecting bond yield at 2% by the end of the year. Clearly, uh, this segment, this sector like energy, financial, and basic material has still more upside to come. Well, I think there's some really good points there. I mean, one of the things we've been kind of doing is following this COVID opening around the yeah. globe, take, taking advantage of that as different markets open up. And as you said, Japan looks like it's positioned to be one of those markets where, where investors haven't moved there yet. And likewise, you know, despite the, the calls on energy and financials, we just don't see really the movement into those sectors to get those weightings, you know, where you would expect uh, in in portfolios. Now, the the sector that uh, is heavily weighted in many portfolios is the mega cap tech, uh, in part because it's had such strong gains over the past 12 months. But what what are we doing there? Talk talk some more about that, please. Yeah, so I wanted to put a slide on that as well. Uh, it's quite interesting because uh, the tech sector has been performing well for a very good reason. On the next slide, uh, the growth last year was very, very resilient. We had a positive growth in every uh, tech-related sector, home, stay at home. And, uh, and what we observe, it was since the November last year, we had a sort of stabilization of the sector. Now, when we look into valuation and we break down the overall market into the overall market, including mega caps, tech stocks, especially consumer discretionary and plus IT, we see that there is 10% different in the valuation. If I take the overall market uh, with uh, including mega cap, tech stocks, uh, the market is trading at 18.7 times. If you take out from the market, the uh, IT, consumer discretionary, 
then you have a market which is priced at only 16.6 times, which is, I will say, considering the level of uh, real rates is quite appealing. Uh, the second chart on the right side is just giving you the valuation relative to the past. When you take energy, financial or materials, these three sectors, which are highly correlated to the reopening, easing, uh, uh, restriction, and so on, they are still trade at discount in the case of energy. Financial uh, is uh, at history in terms of price earning, and material is slightly, slightly uh, at premium, very small premium, one or two percent premium. When we compare the tech uh, uh, companies, that they are trading at very large premium relative to the 10-year average. Consumer discretionary are trading at 40 percent. I'm not saying that such a premium is not justified. I think it's justified because superior growth, long-term structural trend, that are something important. But when you are in a situation where the economy is reopening, vaccination rollout is speeding up everywhere in the world where you have earnings picking up what you need to do is just taking sector which are low valuation high potential for earnings rebound and also high correlation to uh, bond yield and inflation expectation in that case you are much better off with value segment like energy financial as mentioned before rather than growth long-term growth uh, resilient sector like it consumer discretionary and consumer communication services Okay, now what else out there in terms of asset classes do we see doing well in most of the scenarios that uh, we're contemplating? Yes, I think uh, there is still another asset class uh, with uh, uh, equities, which is quite interesting, is commodities. Uh, within commodity space, you have different segments, and uh, the copper has been uh, one with agricultural product performing the best. The energy is still a bit lagging. Today, we are around $70 per barrel. There is still uh, the macro data is pushing up uh, the, the price of a brand, but clearly there is more upside to come. The reopening, we see people traveling again taking flights, uh, being outside driving, and so on. So the consumer demand of gasoline will be increasing, and so the price of a brand. And when clearly, when we compare the price of the brand and the correlation with the gasoline demand, this is quite strong. So a reopening should support the brand, and we expect the brand to be around $75 a body for the rest of the year. There are some segments within commodity, copper, where we still see some upside uh, to come by the end of the year, but clearly the brand is the segment we, we like the most. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.